you believe that this morning, say amen. Amen. One of the big deals on Sunday morning in Camden is for children's church to meet together with a bunch of great kids. So any kids up to third grade that would like to meet with Brother Jeff this morning, uh, you can go ahead and meet there in the lobby. We also believe it's a big deal to be in church. Give them a good hand. Will you do that? Amen, amen. Go ahead and be seated. I want to ask you a question. We just sang a song about God being mighty to save. Mighty to save. Someone slip your hand up and tell me when you gave your life to Christ. Somebody else. 93. Amen. Come on. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen, Keith. Amen. Some of you guys got saved the year I was born. Huh? April? Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Joe. All right. Amen. Amen. Uh, Lewis. I love it. I love it. You know, I've always wanted to be an auctioneer. Uh, who? Give me uh, Amen. Amen. Here's what we're saying. Anybody else? November 62. Amen, Ralph. Uh, happy spiritual birthday for you. Coming up. Anybody else? Amen. 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 Well, praise the Lord, because here's what we're talking about this morning. We believe God is still mighty to save, do we not? And I praise the Lord. I want to thank the church for the good job uh, you did in ministering to the Hurley family. Pearl, God bless you for being here today. These flowers are in memory of Brother Fred. And uh, I just thank God, because he would have raised his hand this morning. He would have raised his hand and told us when he got saved. So this morning, I want you to take your Bible. Those here and those that are watching, I want you to join us in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're in a series entitled Stand. Now, I believe this morning that the Lord could be wanting to uh, teach us a, a good, fresh word from this passage and I want to speak about a love that looks different. A love that looks different. Now, if I were to tell Renee that I love her like certain things, I believe she'd be extremely disappointed. If I were to say, Renee, I love you, I, I love you like Cheez-Its, it wouldn't mean as much to her as maybe it could. Or if I said, you know, Renee, I love you, but I want you to know I love you like I love fried bologna. She'd say, boy, Greg, you must really love me a lot. You see, we use the word love sometimes, and it, we thin it down and we water it down so much that real love kind of loses its meaning. When we talk about our love for a certain color or a, a certain food or a certain place and then talk about our love for Jesus Christ, Man, we're talking about a different kind of love. And this morning, 
I want to talk about a love that looks a little bit different. Now, in 1 Peter, there have been some virtues that are reminding us who we are in Christ. For instance, we are called to be good citizens in Christ. Somebody say amen. We're called to be obedient servants in Christ. Say amen. Wives are called to be submissive wives in 1 Peter. Ladies, say amen. You know why? Because men are called to be considerate husbands. Say amen, men. But then he continues by telling us that we're to be compassionate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I pick it up this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats nor their trouble, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments, you would capture our mind's attention and our heart's affection. Lord, whatever we're going through in life, would you just slow us down for a few minutes this morning and remind us of how much you love us and how we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Peter continues a list of characteristics. And it's interesting that in his style, it seems, especially in this letter, he, he kind of makes lists. Do we have any list makers in the, in the house this morning? Uh, raise your hand back there. Okay, I see one. Uh, where, where you just kind of to-do list, to-do things to do. Right? Oh, I see it, Jennifer. I'm seeing it loud and clear. Uh, okay, got some over here. I notice a lot of them are just, there's, there are some men, but few. You. And, and I find that the longer, the older I get, the more I need it. I mean, I will go into the grocery store without a list, and you know what I come out with? Cheez-Its and fried bologna. And I really literally forget why I went. Has anybody ever been there? Is anybody at that point, if you don't have a list... Well, Peter kind of seems to outline or jot down things that will help the church stand in the midst of persecution or the believers stand in the midst of tough days. Now, when you look at verse 8, 
he, he wraps it up. He says, okay, finally. I've taught you how to be, what, what it looks like to be a good citizen, an obedient servant, how wives are to look submissive to a considerate husband. Finally, I want to teach you how to relate to each other as the body of Christ. He says, all of you be in one mind, pursuing the same goal, looking the same direction, singing your part for the kingdom of God, harmony in the local church for the glory of God. He says, have compassion for one another. May there be sympathy. And I want to tell you this morning that sympathy is more than just talking about it. Sympathy is being responsive to others' needs. In the weeks ahead, we're going to bring to you a recommendation as a church from the deacons that is an extravagant, generous way to help somebody in need. We've been praying about the churches down in Louisiana that have been affected by these recent hurricanes. And God has put somebody on our heart. He says, you're to love. You're to treat your brothers and sisters with the love of Christ. Unconditional, agape love. You're to be kind. You're to be tender-hearted. You say, well, Brother Greg, we know that. But folks, Peter is the one writing this letter. And Peter is the one who was transformed by the grace of God coming from the profession of a hardened, I believe, fisherman. And then the Bible even uses the word courteous, encouraging others, rejoicing in others' success while never mocking their failure. And that's the picture this morning we get when we look at a love that is a bit different. Now, remember who's writing? It's Peter. He's called uh, to follow Jesus. He's radically changed by the power of God. Yet, Peter knew that God was still at work in his life. Do you know if God is still at work in your life? I mean, when was the last time you were convicted over sin? When was the last time you asked someone to forgive you? Uh, when was the last time you realized that maybe you shouldn't have said that or, or you just had to back up a little bit and realize who you are in Jesus Christ? Peter was a work in progress. And God was using him for his glory, and he allows him to pen uh, these letters for our benefit. He was changed by the power of God. Here's the first thing I want you to take home with you this morning, that God doesn't give up on us where we are, but he sees us where he wants us to be, where we need to be. Now, when you look at your children, when you look at your teenagers, take a good gaze because this time and season will pass fast. You'll wonder, where did the time go? We are empty nesters, some of you are saying with us. Oh, that we would long if somebody would come by and see us. Oh, we just want to see the kids. We want to spend a little time together. Where did the time go? Folks, I want to tell you that life is too short not to enjoy the journey. You say, Brother Greg, I don't, I don't even like my life. Well, there is someone who knows you better than you do that loves you more than you can ever love yourself or have anybody else claim that they love you. 
and there's someone who has a great plan for your life, and that plan involves you surrendering your life to him. Remember we found out that in 1 Peter, submission in earthly relationships is a picture of spiritual submission to the Father? Peter knew what it was like to struggle. He knew what it was like to struggle. He would say things before he would think. Uh, he was aggressive. He was bold. But yet God did not give up on him because God knew what he wanted him to be. He not only saw it, he, he, he knew how it was going to happen. God would make it happen. Now, when you think of Peter's life, he was learning as a disciple. Listen to Mark 8, verse 31 through 33. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise. He spoke this word openly. Listen to what the Bible says. And Peter, know anybody like this? Took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. I have a little note here that says, let me read it to you, okay? Be careful when you think you can straighten the Lord out. Anybody want to say amen? Be very careful when you think that the Lord needs a word. But when he had turned around, Jesus, but when Jesus turned around, who said it to him? Peter pulled him aside to rebuke him. But when he turned around, he looked at his disciples. Who said it to him? Or who pulled him aside? Peter. When he turns around, he sees his disciples. I have to think that Peter is there with him, right by him. He rebuked Peter. Peter. And said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter knew what it was like to struggle. He knew what it was like to struggle. He recognized he was a work in progress. Uh, John chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Jesus said to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you'll never, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you'll have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter is a good example that God doesn't leave you where you're at. But when he calls you, when he saves us, that's what I love about hearing uh, when you gave your life to Christ. We're reminded of the life-changing power of the cross. He didn't leave him there. He made him, and he continues to make him in the New Testament more like him with each day that passes in his Christian life. Now, look at verse 9. After he makes that list of one mind having compassion, uh, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Verse 9 says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. To revival means to openly criticize, wanting to inflict pain, abuse. 
I want to remind you this morning that abuse can be more than physical. It can be verbal, can it not? And here's what Peter's saying. May that never be said in a church that's wanting to stand for Jesus. I don't know about you, but, but I, I have to ask the Lord to help season my speech with grace from time to time because I want to be critical or, 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 or want to cast judgment on something. Listen to me. Peter understood it, and the Lord recognizes that we live in a world. We go to places of work. We'll go to school tomorrow. We'll be involved in programs uh, where it's very common for people to talk and to tear down other people criticize, build, build ourselves up. But Peter says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to remind you who I was. Jesus changed my life. And to the church standing in a day of persecution, my goodness, the enemy is not each other. The enemy is a live, real devil that will do whatever he can to mess things up. Now, here's what I've learned over the number of years being your pastor. Anytime God does anything good, get ready. Get ready. The devil's unhappy. He starts working in the hearts of, of, uh, of backslidden Christians or backslidden pastors or backslidden believers. And before long, listen. How in the world did, did something good turn out to be bad? It's because we, we were not recognizing the source of the power and the cause of the problem. And Peter's telling, listen, if you want to stand in days of persecution, then how you treat people is of the uttermost importance, especially in the body of Christ. Now, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. How in the world... What makes us think that the world would want what we have if they see a church that doesn't seem to love each other? Always bickering, always posturing for position, uh, always wanting, uh, wanting the, the spotlight when, when, in essence, the body of Christ comes together to make sure the spotlight's on the King Jesus. Amen? That's, that's the good news. But we shouldn't fool ourselves that there's a real devil. And Peter says, I know what I'm writing about. Because I've battled these very same things. I believe Peter remembers the words of the Lord Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now I'm telling you, folks, you and I can only do that by the grace of God. Anybody will say amen? Because we're prone to what? You hit me, I'm hitting you back. And I'll probably hit you back harder than you hit me. That's the way we live in the flesh. And I'm telling you, folks, if that's the way we live, we would spend a constant life of trying to get even with people that have somehow hurt us. So what does Peter start to remember? Jesus isn't about revenge. He's not about insulting. He's never about using the gifts he gives us for his glory to hurt people. Number two, write it down. God's got to help us rise above getting back at people. He's got to help us. 
And he does that with purpose and instruction. I want you to mark your Bible here in 1 Peter 3, and I want to flip to James. Just flip back a couple pages to James chapter 3. Just a couple pages back, James chapter 3. If you're there, say amen. Okay, nobody's there. All right, James chapter 3. And I want to read a familiar text with you, starting with verse 2. If you're there, say amen. James 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, a complete man, able also to bribe the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they're large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. It's interesting that when you think about what God does for us and what he gives us, he gives us the opportunity to use our voice for his glory to encourage and to to bless others. But don't take for granted what God's given you. The man and I had the boys out to eat Friday morning for breakfast, and I noticed that there was a man uh, eating breakfast that had like a crate. And I just kind of watched him labor to just have a normal meal by himself. Recently, Ernest Easley called me. Some of you remember Ernest. He pastored a long time in Texas and Atlanta. His son Jordan pastors in Cleveland where he now helps him. But if you remember when Ernest Easley was here, he had a battle with throat cancer. Went to MD Anderson in Houston and for multiple days went through treatment and, and God allowed him to continue to preach on and on. And uh, the source of the call was me because I received a response. You know how you can click your phone and it says, sorry, I can't talk or something like that? And it said, sorry, I can't talk right now. And then a little later came a text that said, Greg, I can't talk. I'm, I'm still on doctor's orders, voice rest. And we began to communicate, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, they're not letting me talk. There's some further complications right now with vocal cords and things like that. Folks, don't take for granted what God gives us to praise him with. And here's what Peter's saying. God has given me a voice, and Peter was bold. Amen, we know that. He was bold. But Peter was also frail because He denied Christ three times on the way to Calvary. The one who stood in the Garden of Gethsemane and struck the ear of the soldier now is quiet, denying Christ. 
on the way to Calvary. We recognize his frailty. But yet, Peter used his voice, he used his platform, he used his testimony for the glory of God. So in this list, I believe he's saying, be a peacemaker. And for that to happen, you have to take a step. Uh, jot this down. An effective peacemaker seeks peace. You have to seek it. It's not passive. It, it doesn't just happen by being quiet. It has to be intentional. And, and to tell you the truth, sometimes it's hard, is it not? It's hard. And I believe sometimes the hardest place for peace to really be, uh, get a good firm hold, listen to me, is in a family. It's in a family. Maybe you're here today and you've been hurt and you're, you, you know that you're not the cause of the pain. There's nothing in you that says you need to apologize. I get it. But I'm telling you, sometimes there will be no peace unless someone acts. Unless someone says, okay, okay, Lord, help me. Uh, look at, uh, go back to First Peter if you're not there. Verses 10 through 12, he cuts away to the Psalms. He talks about this mouth of refraining from evil, uh, lips from speaking deceit, turning away from evil and doing good and seeking peace. Maybe God's calling you today. Maybe he's calling me to be the one who takes the step, who actively says, okay, I want to be that person, God. You're going to have to help me then. And then you get to verses 13 and 14, and to me it's a repeated theme of the letter of 1 Peter. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Bible says believing in Christ is our peace. Jesus is our peace. And the good news this morning is, you and I as a Christian don't have to fear what the world fears. What do you mean, Brother Greg? Well, how about the news? How about what's going on? You say, well, we have to fear the violence. We need to be careful and we need to take smart steps. But I'm telling you, I'm not going to live my life in bondage to the things that a sinful world does. I'm going to live my life looking for the hope that's in Jesus Christ, who's way bigger than anything that we're seeing on television. Listen to me, he is the filter that allows anything. That's who I'm going to put my faith in and my trust. Don't fear as the world fears, the Bible says. Psalm 4, verse 8, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's the word of God. That is the word of God. Peter knew what was scaring people. It was the unknown. And he says, listen, if the world's really going to see, uh, Peter's saying, if the world's really going to see Jesus in you, then how you respond to each other is crucial and a central message in what we send as the body of Christ. Don't be a don't be afraid of what the world is. Now, now, folks, the, the whole COVID thing has been so out of our control 
that, to my knowledge, no one sitting in this room is, a, is an expert on disease. If you are, you've been holding out on us for 18 months. What I am saying is, by the grace of God, we don't have to live in bondage to stuff that oftentimes just becomes a snowball effect of opinion. And the good news is, we can live our life based on the solid foundation of the cross of Christ, go to bed at night knowing that our safety is in Jesus Christ, and he not only is going to save me in eternity, he is saving me now. He'll take care of me now. That's the message I want to send my grandkids. I don't want to hear you telling my grandsons, oh, I'd hate to be a kid growing up in 2021. Don't say that around my family because you're, you're minimalizing a big God who was there when our ancestors were preaching the same gospel. He's here today, and he will be with them. And listen, one day he's coming. He's going to wrap this all up. And until then, we've got work to do. Peter knew that. And I believe that's why Peter could say something like this and write something like this. Verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. The theme of 1 Peter is counted a blessing when you suffer for Christ. Now, I don't know about you. I need a little work there. I need a little help with that one. Because sometimes as a Christian, we get in a hole, we get in a pit, and we get in despair. Depression seeps in. And I'm going to tell you when it happens to me, it's when I take my eyes off of Christ. And I start looking at the waves around me. Verse 15. But sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And, and have a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it's better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, there are some people that believe that evangelism is, is just something to be talked about at church. But, Brother Greg, I don't feel that we should push our faith on anybody. Okay, let's clarify something. A Christian pushing their faith on somebody doesn't save anybody. What saves you is a personal decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior recognizing you're a sinner, that you're separated from God, and that Jesus paid to reconcile that relationship on the cross of Calvary. And by faith, you accept Christ. But I'm also telling you that the Word of God doesn't call any of us to be CIA Christians. Nobody knows your identity. Nobody knows your name. They don't know what you stand for. The Bible tells us when we become Christians, our job from that point on is to make Jesus known wherever we're at and wherever we go. Well, this is a familiar verse, verse 15. 
He says, always be ready. Being ready means being prepared. Um, most of the time on Saturday evening, Renee says, what suit are you going to wear tomorrow? And I'll tell her. And she knows what shirt that I'm going to need and, and presses that shirt. So when I get up this morning at 6.15, I don't have to worry and stumble around looking for what I'm going to do. Let me tell you something. As one preacher says, Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. It's not an afterthought. It's a Saturday night decision. This morning, in the 8.30 service, we prayed for those that were still in bed that God may shake you to come to worship this morning. Anybody feel prayed for this morning? Huh? Some of you are saying, Brother Greg, you didn't pray for us. We've been babbling ever since we left the house. That's okay. That's just the devil because Sunday morning he works prime time. He works prime time. Verse 15 says, always be ready to give a defense. Always. Never ending. You don't check in and check out as a Christian. You don't check in and check out when it comes to sharing your faith. Always be ready. I believe this text is telling us always be looking for an opportunity to talk about what Jesus Christ has done for you. give a defense. The word defense there is where we get the word apologetics. Apologetics is a defense that's organized. It's a thoughtful defense of what you believe and why you believe it. Now, number four, you won't share and you can't share what you don't have. You won't share and you can't share what you don't have. Some person may say, well, Brother Greg, I, I just don't know what I would say. Folks, the greatest presentation of the gospel is a personal testimony of what Jesus did for you. And that is hard to come up with if you've never met Christ as your Savior. Um, when was the last time you talked about it with somebody? When was the last time... Uh, you, you broach the subject, and you'll say, well, Brother Greg, uh, that's just something we don't talk about in my family. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to offend somebody. Folks, listen to me. When someone says politics and religion, we lump them together like they're the same thing. There's no politician going to take you to heaven. No politician's ever paid for your sin. But there is a king of glory who you say has radically changed your life. It's the best thing that's ever happened to you. And yet you've never wanted to talk about that with anybody, especially those you love the most. Friday morning, um, I got a call from Renee's brother, Jack. Renee's the youngest of six. One of her brothers, Donald, is in, in heaven. Jack and Sharon have lived in Atlanta for many years. Jack was a, is a repairman for a company called Minster Machine in Ohio. And then they found out that he could live cheaper in Atlanta because he flew out of Atlanta all the time for his jobs all around the world. So years ago, they moved to Atlanta. So that's the sibling we would see the least, he and Sharon, living in Atlanta, Georgia. And, and uh, they come up, and they've got kids. Uh, one of their kids live here in her family in Springboro now, and 
they seemed to come up more with their grandkids. And uh, I had a boat that uh, Jack had let us borrow. And uh, he asked me about it, and make a long story short, Friday he came to get it, and I met him at the house. He said, have the coffee on. I said, okay, be ready to go. And right then I began to think, God, help me, give me an opportunity to talk to Jack about his faith. And so Friday came, and that opportunity came, sitting there across the table. We had a great conversation. I said, Jack, let's talk about something important, really important. He said, okay. I said, I just want to ask you, if you were to die, are you going to heaven? And he said, Greg, I really think I would. I said, that's great. Let me ask you another question. He said, okay. I said, if you don't make it back to Atlanta, Georgia, and died in a wreck, and stood before God, and he said, Jack Smith, why are you in heaven? What would you say? Here's his response. Greg, I guess the only thing I could say is I believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for my sins. I said, Jack, I am so glad to hear you say that. Because I said, talking to guys just like you in the past, I've heard them say things like, I'm a good man, I'm a hard worker, I don't cheat my family. How in the world could we believe that the gospel is something just to keep and never take the lid off of? Well, you say, well, Brother Greg, the reason I don't take the lid off of it is because sometimes I'm rotten. We can get that way. Look at verse 16. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, that those who revile you in your conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You know what Peter's saying? Hey, I've lived it. And the only way you answer, listen, is by living a life for Christ. Now, someone recently said this. Listen carefully. Hopefully, I won't mess it up. Don't spend your life trying to disprove your critics. Spend it proving Christ. Spend it living for him, proving that he changed your life. As James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. James doesn't say I'm saved by my works. He says, I'll show you my faith by them. This is the fruit. This is what comes out. And I'm just convinced that people don't share because oftentimes they can't because there's no storage. And Peter says, don't give people ammunition. Prove their accusations wrong. And prove the Lord Jesus right. That's the good news of the gospel. That's a love that's different. That's a love that looks different. When I get home today, I'm going to look into Renee's eyes. I'm going to tell her I love her. And it's going to have everything to do with Jesus and nothing about this earthly side for the glory of God. 
And, and you know what? You might be here today and say, Brother Greg, if you only understood my marriage, if you only understood my past, if you, un- if you, only, if you, if you could only see my life and what I've been through, all I can tell you is Peter has been through it. And he says, Jesus changed my life, and I'm not giving up. And I'm writing, on, I'm writing to you, church, Christians, for you to stand in this day because there's a love that's unlike any other love. It's the love of God. I want you to stand. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, and I'm simply going to ask you a question. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know somebody in your life that, to your knowledge, has never given their heart to Jesus? To your knowledge, they're not a Christian. I want you to think. Think think hard. Do you know anybody in your world, to your knowledge, has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And if you do, would you be willing to pray for them starting right now? If you would, I'm going to ask you to just come. All of those that can kneel, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. If you need to sit, you feel free to do that. But I'm asking you to come right now. Come on. Come on. That's good. Come on. You can just sit at your seat if you need to. Amen. 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 That's good. Okay. I'm going to count to three. When I say one, two, three. I want you at that point in your spirit to call out that person's name. You ready? One, two, three. Call that name out to God. And now lift that person up to the throne of grace right now. And they may never know that you're praying for them, but you are right now. And I'm asking you, Just ask God to give you an opportunity to be ready in season to share your story. So God, as heaven is flooded with names from Camden, Ohio, I pray that you would give your church, your children, Holy Spirit, fire, boldness to talk about you with those we love and never be ashamed of it. And never be ashamed of it. God, I pray that you'll save these. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. You can go to your seat. The invitation is simple. If you're here in this service and you'll say, Brother Greg, I don't think I can because I'm not sure I am a Christian. I'm going to invite you to come. I'll be standing right here. We'd love to pray with you today. 
Tim and Lena will be standing here. Maybe some couples want to come. You feel free. Okay? Let's all sing together, lift our voice as a prayer of our recommitment, as an anthem of surrender uh, to the Lord. You ready? I have decided to Let's just have the ladies sing, okay? Right now, just the ladies. You ready? Every man, lift your voice. Sing it out. Just bow our heads if you don't care. God's still dealing. Marcy, you can play. You're fine. Any any men in this place need prayed for?
God bless you for being here, first of all. Phyllis Nestle, good to see you, gal. And uh, praise the Lord for his mighty hand. I want to encourage you, if you're able, to help us Saturday night in front of the preacher. This really loses its intent if it's just a few of us. Okay? So we need you. Now, I also found out that... It's also playoff game night for Treble Shawnee. And Landon over here in left field is on the 10-0 Treble Shawnee Arrow League Champ football team. Is that the way you want me to say it, like that? And uh, I think that is worthy of some good news. Amen? So that is, that's also Saturday evening. But 6 to 8, and just load up the candy this week, okay? Uh, just whenever you're out and if you got a dollar or two, just say, what should I do with this dollar or two? Let's get some candy for the church, okay? And uh, uh, I usually ask Renee for her dollar or two, so we can, we'll do that for her dollar, okay? But uh, that's this week. Any, am I missing anything? All hearts clear? Are you glad you're in church today? Is Jesus alive? Amen. You better believe he is. So listen. Be instant, ready, in all seasons, in any season, all the time, be ready to share the hope that's in you. Okay? Somebody might go out at just today or talk to a neighbor, and this, this is going to hit you right here. Oh, is this what we're talking about? I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. Don't, don't freak out like that. Just trust the Lord, amen? Just open your mouth and just say, hey, God loves you. Don't let a lot of these cranky church people come out to eat on Sunday to text you, listen, Jesus loves you. Amen? Are you with me? Okay. Let's bow our heads. Jeff Schmidt, will you close in prayer?